0: Welcome to the Fast Host Proactive Podcast, Spill the IT. Each episode, we'll sit down with some of the amazing proactive team and chat through their experiences of the ups and downs of IT infrastructure management in small businesses. There's always plenty to chat about.
1: Welcome to the latest ProActive podcast episode. Um, I'm here with CJ, who is Senior Principal Engineer at ProActive, um, and we're here to talk today about... um, Security's missing link, um, which is all about how you engage users, how you educate users um, to help reduce security risks. But before we get into that, CJ, I think you'll do a much better job of introducing yourself than I possibly could. So um, please go ahead.
0: Wonderful. Um, yeah. So I'm CJ. Um, one of my job titles is senior principal engineer. That's that's my main role. Um, but I'm also the information security manager for um, the wider group in the UK for tech ops. So. That leads me very much into I live and breathe um, technical security, but I'm also heavily involved in org sec, which is things like ISO 27K compliance and other items like that. So, yeah, this is my bread and butter.
1: I bet you've got a lot of interesting war stories you could share.
0: Unfortunately, I can't share them. I know.
1: <laughs> we won't name the innocent or the Wonderful. guilty. <laughs> um, so just just generally, talk us through the overall landscape here because, you know, we all work in companies. We all, we all inherently know what goes on and what the risks are but you know just what what's the what does the overall landscape look like in this area
0: um so it's ever changing and it's ever evolving and this is part of the thing that keeps people like me in business um Mm -hmm. but also makes things really tricky on occasion um we've seen many different trends certainly over the past three four years certainly with global events like the pandemic and so forth which have changed the security landscape changed how things happen um just switching back to that topic for a moment the whole everybody working from home suddenly changed a lot of dynamics in the office environment, a lot of the security controls and protocols that may have been in place. And at the drop of the hat, they had to all be changed and be updated and try and get users engaged with that. Because mm. uh, as, as we said at the beginning, this is the, the very much the missing link. You can have all of the technical controls and technical great bits of hardware that do everything for you all of this monitoring you can have all of these policies and all of this documentation that says what you should do when and so forth but if the people in between can't link the two or can't react to one or the other then we've got a big problem mm-hmm. um and it's, it's a really tricky thing to solve and certainly we found that moving much more into a culture whereby I was about to say we make security fun, we we, we don't, but um, trying to remove, um, and it's only something to come on to later, trying to remove some of the blame culture around security mm. reporting and topics, trying to get people to understand why it's there. I mean, it's so easy, and I've seen it so many times, people are like, why do I have to do this? This is, it's stopping me from getting this done. It's like, because if we don't do it, there's all of these potential repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's really helped in the landscape over the past few years has been some really big high profile incidents. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm not going to name any of the third-party external companies, but there's been some multi-million pound incidents which have occurred through a lack of adopting just basic security practices in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start seeing those kind of fines coming in or those kind of damages, and certainly when you add reputational
1: damage on top, it's huge. It is huge, isn't it? Yeah. Cause, and it covers a wide spectrum, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you've got data protection, um, obviously the equivalent of GDPR. You've got ransomware, you've got all sorts of different threats that are, as you say, ever-evolving. Yes. Which makes the landscape much more complicated, I would assume.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ransomware, I mean, it's it's a great topic. I mean, we could spend the next three hours talking (laughs) about how that's evolved. But again, we've seen really big companies hit by this kind of stuff. And Mm. certainly if you look at sort of general media, there's a lot of conflicting stories about what people should be doing if, if they come under attack and how they should handle it and so forth. There are some really simple things you can do that help protect you against ransomware attacks from a security technical point of view. But there's also some really, really good things of just educating users of, you know, the age old, don't click on links you don't recognize, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but then, again, that's, that's another one whereby you can just say that to people and you can, you can even make them click through a security questionnaire once a year so you've got a tick box. But until somebody actually realizes and understands... What could happen when it goes mm. wrong? Because everyone thinks it never happened to me, right? Well,
1: it's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we all sort of coast along quite nicely until something does happen, and then we go, oh, why didn't we do something about that?
0: It's um, I've got this uh, wonderful thing that I like to say to people I never got into security to make friends, you know, because we're <laughs> never the people that everybody wants to come and talk to until there's a problem. Yeah. And then suddenly everybody wants to be your friend, everybody wants to get you on board. And what we're trying to do. Or have been doing much more over the past few years is is just moving that relationship just a little bit further on in that engagement and getting people to to understand, hey, I, I know it's a bit of a pain, but this could be so much so much better for you if we do this in this manner. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just um, not even a, a lack of wanting to do these kind of things, just a complete blank spot around a particular topic and until you go through that sort of like reasoning as to why something's happening it's not always clear
1: no it's not and i think and again it's human nature isn't it it's, it's kind of understanding the why um is so important but you have to relate it to that individual in a way that makes sense to them you know yeah. and I, i've seen it you know across the board when you've got a, Two-factor authentication, for example, which is obviously now being, was well, pretty widely adopted, and um, but people get cross with it. <laughs> people get.
0: I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. It was a topic we were talking about internally the other day, um, and part of the issue we got, although certainly for those, those of us in security, tech, you know, we understand why two FA is is a great thing, mm-hmm. um, but the concept of what two FA is and how it works and why it protects you is is very often just not understood. If I talk to my parents Mm -hmm. and say, hey, have you enabled 2FA? They'll they'll say, well, I've heard of this 2FA thing. I've got no idea what it is. It sounds like a pain. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, One of my other favourite phrases in security, and I, I think I said this in the last podcast, is security the expense of usability comes at the expense of security Mm -hmm. if you make something too hard and too difficult people just stop using it so one of the other things we we certainly do is we just try and simplify everything make it as easy to use as possible while still remaining secure Mm -hmm. and certainly with things like 2fa we're still working this out in the industry right because it's still not always straightforward to get 2fa working but the benefits are so huge, we need to solve this problem and we need to get it so that people are using this kind of thing on an
1: everyday basis. And that is a really good point because um, it, there's there are some 2FAs that require you to download an authenticator app. Now, if yeah. you're tech savvy you kind of know what that is to, to a general user they're going to have no idea why they had to download this app and how the magic numbers in the app connect to the qr code that they're trying to download and, and
0: it gets even worse than that in that if you're a if you're a malicious actor i mean then it becomes very very simple it's like hey i've put up this phishing page and go and by the way you need to download this app i'll send you the link to this app download yeah. it to your phone and now everything will be secure mm. and again just getting into to, to users' minds, so certainly those kind of things. You just need to look twice at them and understand, well, hang on a minute, what am I actually downloading to my phone? Let's just have a look and see what this yeah. this particular app is trying to do. Is it from a reputable source? All of that, I hate to use the word, the word paranoid, but those of us in security, the reason we, we've got into this is we're paranoid about these kind of things. We triple-check them all the time, mm-hmm. and we're still trying to, to come up with this way to make this a, a user default, um, certainly when it comes to a, a, a techie business or any business but it's much simpler in a techie business to get people understanding hey this is what you ought to be doing and what we have found is once people are doing on a regular basis it just becomes second nature and that really solves the problem
1: definitely because it's all about usability isn't it and it's like you were saying about malicious actors as well What we've seen historically over the life of IT is they're often the ones that pioneer the really easy ways of doing things (laughs) because they get more responses, don't they? And this
0: is where you find some of the... um, So we engage with pen testers, certainly on um, uh, really important stuff, and we'll we'll use sometimes internal pen testers, we'll use external ones and so forth. Mm. If we really want to test something, we'll engage one of a um, a set of companies we use that use people who used to be the bad guys um, because they're the best, (laughs) Um, and... when that sort of like role turns around and we've got these people going those are really interesting conversations Mm. Um, and you know this is this is an artillery approach to uh, you know a a subject that most people won't need to do but it's a really interesting thing to get into
1: Mm, definitely and and, you know going back to what you were saying earlier about blame culture because I think you know a lot of these malicious attacks are very sophisticated you know we've seen it where you've got the ceo is being mimicked in an email and telling somebody to make a payment and it and it's written in their tone it's um and there's there's lots of it's it's, it can be quite difficult to tell malicious from standard and um, I think people sometimes feel a bit silly and a bit ashamed when they when they fall for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So business email compromise exact yeah. scenario talking about. I mean, those tend to be quite personal and quite sophisticated. And those are the really hard ones to get people to own up to because, mm. yeah, people will, will, will generally feel quite embarrassed that yeah. they've been caught out by it. Now, again, if you've got um, people who are uh, security savvy um, that you can talk to, they'll run through a few things that you can do to check these kind of things out. But people get caught out all the time. That's Mm -hmm. why they're so lucrative. Um, By and large, your your normal people, your everyday, aren't going to typically get these personalised attempts to get large amounts of money out Mm -hmm. of a corporation. As Mm -hmm. I say, they do happen, but they are much less frequent because they involve a lot of time on the threat actor's um, behalf. Um, Most often, most people are getting um, uh, things through to them, typically via email, which are a complete scattergun approach. It's not personal. It's mm. not targeted. Somebody has a list of two and a half million email addresses, and they're sending. It, and if zero point zero one percent fall for it, they make a lot of money. Yeah. And this is another important part of this blame culture is like, you have not been targeted. This is not personal. You don't need to feel that somebody is having you go. I mean, how many enemies do you have that you? Yeah. made? <laughs> <laughs> but by owning up to it, if you do make that mistake, it makes certainly us in the security scene our jobs are so much easier because we've caught the thing much earlier on and we can mm. start looking at, okay, where did this come from? You know, how can we fix this? Right. Change your passwords, change your credentials here. Do all of these kind of things can be brought in st- into, into place really early on. Mm. And the other important thing is somebody will find out eventually. It's just one of those, if you just hold your hands up, everybody goes like, we all make mistakes. We can fix this. Yeah. Just help us out, make our job easier everything will be better.
1: Well, and organisations play a role in that, don't they? Yeah. You know, by not penalising people for... Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, like in, in the airline industry, for example, um, if you pilots have like a three-week amnesty to report incidences, and that is designed to stop that blame culture. So, I, you know, organisations have a role there, don't they?
0: Yeah, and I like it when other industries mimic the, the same sort of ethos, because it, for me... it kind of proves that it's the right way to go if other people send you things like the airline industry i mean you mm. make a mistake there we're not just talking about oh no we've got to find <laughs> you know there's yeah. lives at risk there's yeah. lots more at stake and if they're using this kind of ethos of like if you if you spot something or you do something and it's wrong and you own up you know we we will fix this we will go through it with you and you're not to blame now don't mm. get me wrong there's a big difference between um just um random acts of um What's the right word? Accidental um, uh, issues and so forth. Gross negligence on a regular basis—that's a whole that's different, different thing. Yeah, absolutely. But for, yeah. for all of us, normal—and I use that inverted commas—all um, <laughs> of us normal people, um, you know, it's it's just report it. Just let people know, and yeah, get it
1: fixed. Just, just sort it out. So, um, so in turn, so continuing the theme of sort of talking about organisations' role in in these areas. Um, what, what's the best way for them to manage all of this sort of security element in terms of user engagement?
0: So if you can, offload some of it to somebody who knows all of this stuff inside out. So if there's a part of your business that you don't need to manage yourself and somebody else will manage not only that part of the business for you but all of the security topics on, on top of it. Obviously, I, you can see where I'm going here. You know, <laughs> I work for a company that does this kind of yeah. stuff. But it's a a genuine point. It's it's, it's like any other part of your your day-to-day business. If you don't know how to tile a floor, get somebody professional in who will just do it and will just do a much better job than you, much, much quicker, because they do this all the time. They live and breathe it, they've got experience, they've got all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that using, again, the sort of DIY analogy, if a light bulb needs changing, you should be able to change a light bulb. So there's some basic things that you should be getting your, your staff, your users to get on board with. Certainly credential management is such a huge one. Um, and I, I joked with um, one, of, one of the marketing team here is like, hey, let's do two hours on password managers. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a big favourite topic of mine.
1: I can't and, see why they didn't go for yeah, that. No, <laughs> surprising. Um, but it's surprising.
0: It's, but it's a big, huge thing. And there are some really easy you know, points A, B and C that a company can do yeah. that massively improves how credentials are managed and what will happen if somebody gets a hold of some of those credentials. And... Um, And, you know, we'll just use the top one. If you're using the same credentials for every single login, you've got the same password and the same, let's say, Gmail account. Or Other providers are available. Um, (laughs) If you're using the same credentials, as soon as one of those is compromised, they have access to everything Mm. of yours. That's your social media profiles, any of your online shopping, all of these kind of things, they have access to everything. Mm. And that's that's a really tempting target for, for, for the bad people.
1: Definitely. I'll just make a note. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so how do you get users to do what they're supposed to do? Because, you know, we're all people. People, Human beings like to find shortcuts and avoid blockers. Yeah. So how, how, how do you do that?
0: So part of it is providing tooling. Um, mm. So back to the, the technical aspect, there are certain things that can be provided which will massively help out um, with things like, again, credential management. You know, you use a decent password manager. It will solve 90% of this for you because you'll then get to a point the usability is back. I want to log into um, online shopping, and you go to the web page, and you do your face ID or whatever, and it will just put in those unique credentials for just that one particular site that you're visiting. If that online vendor gets compromised, and your credentials are then stolen because they haven't stored them in a secure manner, They've only got access to that one online shopping account. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have access to the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and it's it's just such a big, huge one. But the other part is again, you know, just getting people. Same with um, every other aspect of your life. It can be daunting to start with. It can be a pain to start with when you first start driving a car. Every time you go out, it's like I'm having to think about so many things all the time going yeah. on. I just wish it was easier. I'm like, after ten years of driving, it's it's second nature. You're mm-hmm. thinking about other things on the way to work, and you know it just becomes something that's habitual, yeah. um, and is no longer a problem.
1: Yeah, and yeah, that's it's a good point, isn't it? Because, and I think, it's it is all about communication and education, isn't it? I yeah. think just constantly not making it difficult to understand or scary and like you say, and addressing the blame culture yeah i think that that's good and
0: i think part of that is also adding on a personal touch because i mean i've seen this certainly in companies whereby yes the education's there but it really is a, a you know log on to this online web portal and fill out this quiz there are 27 slides for part one. Each one will take five <laughs> minutes to read through. And, you know, you just yeah. switch off. Yeah. Um, whereas if you can make it certainly something you're, you're either engaging on a personal level, just in, you know, over the getting a cup of coffee chat or something else like that. But also just on things like whereby um, getting people in, um, to watch the right webinars with the, the people who are actually personable and engaging and actually show you real world examples and not just some, some randomised... Yeah. online portal Theory. that's making up scenarios that aren't going to happen and one of the other things we can't often see is people will go through those because they have to be a tick box exercise everything is like oh well Marie has stored her password on a post-it note on her monitor can you spot in this picture what might be the wrong <laughs> you know, yeah it's just very obvious <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah even the least security focused people are going to get it and they switch off mm. whereas with a personal approach you can just find those 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 spots which are missing yeah and just tackle those ones and then just get users to, to upskill and to get engaged in it um and it you, depending on um the, the sort of business you're in and the, the stuff you've got you can even gamify it you can just start getting people right okay let's just just go through it you know what's happening here who, who who's working out this the best you know who's going to develop A, B, or C for me because that will sort that out. Mm-hmm. So it can be a fun
1: thing. Yeah, yeah, good. And so, just to finish then, and and I think, I think this would be useful for particularly for SMEs because obviously that's the the core target audience for proactive and who I think are probably most vulnerable to secure security threats. And I think all of this has been great, but if they do especially ransomware, because I think it's the one that people are scared of. Yeah. Um, what, what should they do if something, if the worst happens?
0: So some of this is my personal opinion uh, as against anything else, some of it is industry standard practice. And the biggest thing you have here is having a really, really good backup routine, which is tested regularly. And I talked about this on the last podcast that I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so critically important. And by a good backup routine, that's regular backups, which are stored, not connected to the same network. And this is an important part. And yeah. there's different ways of doing that, from USB sticks in a, in, a, in a drawer, which is segregated from everything else, to using online cloud backup things where you can only send it, you can't pull it, you can't destroy yeah. it and all this kind of stuff. So having a really good backup routine means that if you get ransomware, your critical data is still safe from at least, let's say, 24 hours ago, mm-hmm. And that's not that doesn't tend to cripple businesses to the point of no return. and That's the important part is, if malware hits you and it's ransomware, and it takes all of your data, will that make your business collapse? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, you need to do something about it. If you are unlucky enough to get ransomware, the industry um, guidance at the moment is you don't pay them, and you also don't pay any third parties to say they can do it for you. The third parties who reportedly will say, hey, don't worry, we can work this out for you, um, by and large, they are people who will then communicate with the ransomware providers on your behalf, get a discount, and then just basically
1: charge you 50% of that. Oh, right. Oh, yes. That's interesting and very devious. Um, gosh, I feel quite... <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think, and backup, that's a a good point, actually, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people assume that just because stuff is hosted, it's being backed up. But that's not always the case, is it?
0: Absolutely not. Um, And again, certainly with sort of the services we provide, you know, there's various different backup concepts that are in. Use the right backup Mm. concept that's right for your product. If it's something ephemeral, it doesn't really matter if you lose a week's worth of work. We, We don't need to go down... You know the the absolute belts and braces but if if it's business critical then that's super important on that same basis you need to make sure that that backup, all the data you've got if you stop using it you need to make sure it's securely destroyed as well this is another really important attack factor whereby people are just pulling um, age old backups off of some cloud platform somewhere which hasn't been encrypted, hasn't been stored correctly and Mm -hmm. safely Um, one of my other favourite stories and you can cut this bit out if we don't have time for it um, of a company who was very careful about shredding their physical documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made sure that all of the business critical stuff went through the shredder. Um, you know, Two people made sure that it went through the shredder, and this was fine. And then they, they found they had a leak. And this documentation, which they had been physically shredding, some of it was coming to light at some of their competitors. And this was obviously a major issue. And it wasn't until they called in somebody from a security firm who very quickly then found that some nefarious party and installed the strip of a scanner into the input of the shredding machine oh my gosh which then had wi-fi which then sent the paperwork off to somebody else so every time i went through the shredder the first leading page was sent off to one of their competitors
1: that's insane yeah see it's very sneaky isn't it very very. and sneaky. if you don't think like that you wouldn't ever consider that would yeah. you you'd think oh i'm shredding i'm doing the right thing yeah oh my <laughs> god that's crazy well, thank you, CJ. That was great. Very insightful. And um, I've definitely, I think it's prompted me to go and do some things, especially change some passwords. <laughs> Wonderful, we've <week one. laughs> I know. <laughs> I suddenly feel a bit scared. Um, but no, thanks for your time. Thank you. And look forward to seeing you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast
0: or visit proactive.fasthost.co.uk for more info. See you next time.